A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, world. This is Radio Motherboard, and I'm Alex Pasternak, an editor at the website. Thanks for joining us on our new adventure into audio. Today, we're talking to Laura Poitras, the director of the new documentary, Citizen Four. The title comes from the pseudonym that Edward Snowden used when he first contacted Poitras in 2012. His disclosures about surveillance would spark a global conversation and earn Poitras and Glenn Greenwald and other journalists the Pulitzer Prize. It would also spark new calls for legislation to restrict surveillance, legislation that is still being considered in Congress. Citizen Four, the third in Poitras's trilogy of post-9-11 documentaries, is a gripping work of journalism about journalism. But there's also a more personal aspect to the story, too. In 2006, after making The Oath, her film about Iraq, Poitras found herself on a U.S. government watch list. For years, she was stopped and searched at the border over 40 times. That harassment prepared her, somewhat, for her communications and eventual encounter with Snowden at a hotel room in Hong Kong in June of last year. It was there that she made the viral video that introduced Snowden to the world and filmed the gripping center of Citizen Four. She captures those nervous days with a remarkably patient eye. When I met her recently in New York after the film's premiere, I asked her what it was like not just to be in that room with Snowden, but to be filming at the same time. I mean, it was super tense. Like, I, I haven't experienced an experience that was that tense in any of the other films I've done. I mean, this one, from the very beginning, from when I was getting the emails from Snowden, felt like the most dangerous film I've ever made. And I made films in Iraq when, you know, there was bombing and beheadings and, you know, some crazy things going on in terms of violence. But, you know, the source, who I later learned to be Snowden, I mean, it was clear that if what he was writing to me was true, that his life was in danger. Mm -hmm. I had a lot of meetings in New York before going with lawyers to sort of try to understand the legal implications, what potential charges and stuff that could be brought against the journalists working on this. And, you know, in the context, I expected there'd be a knock on the door, that someone would try to shut us down. And... So the real experience that I had, it was sort of like being in free fall. We don't know where this is going mm -hmm. and what's going to happen and, and just hope that the skills that 
I had as a filmmaker that Glenn had as a journalist would serve us. But things happen really fast. I mean, Glenn started reporting really fast. And so everything was really accelerated from, you know, landing to meeting to getting sort of debrief of documents and then filming the interview and editing the interview and publishing it. I mean, so it was all kind of not a lot of time to second guess. Like mm -hmm. everything was just like kind of we went by our gut and just, yeah. You were thinking on the fly and Snowden says it so yeah. well and he talks about yeah. moment to moment, yeah. not it's, knowing what's going to happen next. Yeah, exactly. It's amazing how calm though yeah. he is throughout Yeah, he was, yeah, it was remarkable. I mean, he, you know, we arrived nervous, disoriented, and then we also were surprised by how young he was and he was just completely calm. And did you, you know? believe him at first that this was for real? Did you have a... Confidence. I did. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd been in correspondence long enough. Yeah. And I had seen mm -hmm. enough of the documents that I right. didn't have any doubt. But I was surprised at his level of just like, he was just totally at peace. Like, like he's like, okay, I trust you guys. And I want to help you do what you need to do, which means, you know, for us, it was to walk us through some really complicated technical terrain. And I think he didn't know how much time he would have with us to basically do a brain dump so that we could understand the architecture of the surveillance system. Mm -hmm. Here's a scene from the film where Guardian journalist Ewan McCaskill, who came to Hong Kong a few days later, asks Snowden how he's feeling. Uh, are you getting more nervous? Um, I mean, no. I think uh, I think the way I look at stress, particularly because I sort of knew this was coming, you know, because I sort of volunteered to walk into it, um, I, I'm already sort of familiar with the idea. I'm not worried about it. When somebody like busts in the door, suddenly I'll get nervous and it'll affect me. Yeah, but until yeah. they do, uh, I'm, I'm, you know. I'm eating a little less. That's the only uh, only difference, I think. Were you worried that your footage would disappear somehow? Yeah, I mean, I took a lot of precautions. I mean, I had a contact locally that I was doing a drop-off. I had encrypted drives that I was backing up to. I was destroying the original media. You know, I had backups off-site in case anyone knocked on the door. How complicated was it in approaching this story to bring a camera into the situation? And for Snowden, how did he end up agreeing to being on camera and doing everything mm -hmm. on camera? Initially, I think he thought that I would report and I would work, you know, with other media outlets to, to report in print. But then when he said his, his identity would be revealed, then I said, like, really, it's important for you to articulate your motivations. And he agreed. And... I think he had taken every risk there was to be. So this, yeah, this added risk, but it's just like added risk to what? I mean, he'd risked pretty much everything. It was also interesting, obviously, because more than the other films in the series, this was personal for you. Can you talk about how you became interested in surveillance to begin with, maybe going back to yep. my country, my country? Yeah, I mean, it's probably not. I mean, so I've been working on this sort of post-9-11 films, and I, I felt for a long time, okay, the third part of it should... Uh, return home in some way. In other words, the U.S. and not be filmed abroad. And 
you know, in the immediate aftermath of 9-11, one of the first things that happened was domestic surveillance began. So I think that for U.S. citizens, the quote-unquote war on terror did begin with NSA surveillance. It happened mostly among Muslim Americans who were targeted and, and detained. And it has been part of the narrative. So it wasn't just because I was put on a watch list that I started caring about surveillance. But it did have an impact preparing me to be in contact with Snowden because after I was in 2006 when I started being detained at the border and asked about what I was doing, I started to have to become really careful about protecting source material and notes. I mean, at first, they, you know, the first time I was stopped, they took all my notes and they photocopied them, which was just, you know, really a violation of the privilege because I, I, I say that I'll protect sources, but I can't if they're being taken at the border. So I became mm -hmm. smart in, mm -hmm. in terms of how to protect uh, material. And I think when I first was stopped, I was naive. I mean, I think when I began all these films, I was like, in, when I went to Iraq and when I first started being detained, I was naive and I thought, oh, like, this is going to dial back. It's going to change. This, this is just like we've taken the wrong course and, and things will shift. But over time, as years go by and I'm stopped every time and asked the same questions, I became more clear that there was a system that, like, I, that I had gotten caught into a system and that system was not one that was rational and that basically that it was without any kind of due process or transparency. But the experience of it was that it, um, it taught me a lot about source protection and how to use encryption. One response to all that stuff would be paranoia. And I wondered how you have dealt with that and what you think about paranoia. Especially in the context of making this kind of a... Yeah, I mean, in the context of this film, I wouldn't describe it as paranoia. Like, if, mm -hmm. you're, if you're making a film about the NSA, which is the most powerful intelligence agency that's ever existed, that has, you know, vast tools, to imagine that, you know, your communication might be monitored, I don't think is paranoia. I think it's common sense. I would argue if you're a journalist working with sensitive sources that you're reckless if you're not taking precautions. I take it there was a lot of material from the hotel room and yeah. what are your plans for that and what are some other things that yeah. you really wanted to include in the film but couldn't or? Yeah, I mean there's some extraordinary moments in Hong Kong like really like Glenn's long interview on the first day is incredible. It's mm. really incredible um, and we could only use a certain section of it. We we decided early that we were going to stay true to the chronology of, of the Hong Kong scenes and not do any flipping so, yeah, I would like to release more. Mm -hmm. um, I did a long technical interview with Snowden that someday I'd like to release. Oh, so. great, great. You live in Germany now. Yeah. In part as a result of the harassment or yeah. another reason? No, I mean, I moved I mean, there in, in the spring, and the start of the fall of 2012 to edit because I made a promise to some sources that I wouldn't cross the border with footage. And, and so I, I relocated there for work um, to protect source material. I... I, I still consider myself a New Yorker, so now that the film is done, I'll probably spend more time in New York. Okay. But I really love being in Berlin, so it's a little bit too soon to know. Living in Germany, do you do you feel like Germany and is any better than the U.S. when it comes to stuff like surveillance? Yeah, it is. Yeah. I mean, there, there definitely is a strong consciousness about the dangers of surveillance that emerged both from the, the Nazi era and also from the Stasi. Mm -hmm. I mean, Germany is very sensitive to these issues. I don't want to get too deep into the journalistic aspects and the decision-making, but for you personally, do you feel like there are certain things that very clearly needed to be secret during this process and never be released? There are certain things that I, I'm not interested in releasing. So, for instance, names. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, there's the high-level people who are making decisions, but I'm not, I don't want to release the names of... Mm -hmm. You know, people who are working at a low level at the NSA, and, and the documents do contain names, and I fully support that we should be redacting any names of employees. And, mm -hmm. So, 
Do you think that this kind of system can exist? This system of secret surveillance in a way that would be acceptable? You know, the critique that Snowden has made, that Klan has made, and that I agree with is that, you know, the real danger is the sort of mass, bulk, global surveillance, suspicionless you know, mm-hmm. of taking in everything and the danger of it because of the, the rights it violates. And also, I would argue that it actually makes intelligence harder, like if to actually find the people to worry about. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Lastly, it is a film about journalism. And I love yep. the dichotomy between the inner workings of the process and the scrum and the mm-hmm. CNNs and so yep. forth. What are some of the challenges for journalists now outside of the harassment by the government and the investigations their internal challenges for an organization like the intercept Mm -hmm. in doing stories like this in a digital age given the funding issues Mm -hmm. and the noise out there Mm -hmm. i don't know i think one of the most interesting things is the way that part of the impact of these stories are not just the content of the information but that it's sort of unfolded in a different way. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like the combination of the accelerated speed in which Glenn was working, the release of primary documents that an agency has never been seen, and then also being able to like put video out there because he had agreed to be, you know, like I think it kind of put the establishment on their heels in every way. Like everybody's just kind of scrambling to deal with like what, you know, how we were approaching it. And and for us, it was very organic. Like we didn't have like some big master plan, like we're going to release this document and then we'll release, you know, in a way that didn't, you know, didn't play by the rule books. This is not a question of somebody skulking around in the shadows. These are public issues. These are not my issues. You know, these are everybody's issues. And I'm not afraid of you. You know, you're not going to bully me into silence like you've done to everybody else. Uh, And if nobody else is going to do it, I will. And hopefully when I'm gone, whatever you do to me, there'll be somebody else who'll do the same thing. It'll be the sort of internet principle of the hydra. You know, you can stomp one person, but there's going to be seven more. That's it for now. Thanks to Laura Poitras, and thanks for listening to Radio Motherboard. Today's episode was edited by Josh Krish. Thanks, Josh. Subscribe to us online and visit us at motherboard.vice.com where you can read my article about Laura Poitras and Citizen Four and find plenty of other stories on surveillance, the media, and more. See you next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.